Um, well, this morning we're going to continue through um, looking at Psalms. We've called this series Lyrics because basically the Psalms are a, a compilation of a bunch of songs, uh, things, poetry that were written out and, and actually sung in like we do here. So kind of the things that we sing this morning uh, are like what they would do before. Uh, they would sing, they would talk about God, they would write poetry, and they, they would sing it. And as you would go out, you would remember kind of what those things are. And I'm not sure about you, but, but I'm the kind of guy that gets a song in my head and it goes all day long. Uh, and that's kind of what, what, what worship music does. It's kind of what songs do. We continually sing a song. Like you will forget what I say this morning, but you remember some of the songs that we sang with a band, especially with that country kind of feel this morning because of Stampede. Steve, Steve doesn't like it. It sounded a little country to me, um, and that's okay because it's stampede, uh, but that's okay. But this morning, I, I, I want to talk to you about an, an issue that I think will affect all of us, especially what's going on in our world this week. I want to tell you a story. It was, I was 16. I had just gotten my license, and I was one of those keener kids who, on the day that I could get my license, I, my, driver, my learner's license, I went to get it. And so I, my mom let me off school, so I'd studied, I passed my test, and then I was able to now drive a car. Uh, I was able to drive my motorcycle without any really restrictions, and I was able to drive a car. Two weeks after I got that, I, back then it was two weeks to learn how to drive a car. Yeah, and, and so I failed my first time, was able to go back the week after. So three weeks after I turned 16, I've got my full license, no restrictions except for glasses. Now, you think of that today, that's, like, that's crazy. I've got a 15 and a half year old, uh, and I just can't imagine that, uh, that him doing that. But that was me, and I was pretty arrogant and pretty cocky and thinking, hey, I even had my own car paid off because I worked all summer to buy a 1973 green, metallic green Toyota Corolla, automatic. This thing was awesome. 1,600 cc's. So about three months after I had my driver's license, I uh, was at a light, and I was waiting at this light for three lights. Three. And now finally, I am right at, I'm right at the beginning, okay? So I didn't run the yellow. I said, okay, I'm going to wait. So this thing, 1,600 cc's. This thing is a muscle car. And if, you, if you're a, a man, or, or I don't want to be sexist, but if you understand engines, this is not a muscle car. It's, it's, there's motorcycles with bigger motors than that. So the soon as the light turns green, I've watched, I've watched drag racing before, right? Green. I hammer it. And that's 1,600 cc's with about 40 or 50 horsepower take off. And I'm going around the corner. There's three cars coming at me. I beat the first one. I beat the second one. Don't beat the third one. This car hits me, spins me around, hit the curb, and I'm sitting there, and the car's going backwards in the other lane. And I remember I did this. I got out of the car. I smacked my hand on top of the roof. And I said, God, where were you? Like, what a dumb, immature thing to say. I just went through this thing. God, you're supposed to protect me. I, I pray when I drive. Why did you let this happen to me? Well, as a 16-year-old kid, you don't think that, but, but I blamed God. And I tell you that story because I'm prone to 
blame God when things don't go well in my life. God, where were you? Why did, why did you let that happen? When I see things happen in the world, I, I go, God, why are you letting that happen? And, and, and sometimes we, we can lose sight of what the Bible actually talks about when we're, we're doing that. So, so I want to ask you a question this morning, and Matt, if you could put it up, is what do we do when life does not go as planned? What do we do? What do we do when life does not go when, when it's planned? And this morning, I want to answer that. I want to give you four answers for that. And I, and I believe they're coming right out of this psalm that David was writing. And like Pastor Trevor has said, is these psalms, these lyrics, they give us comfort. They allow us to understand and feel a little bit what they were going through. And so when you read a psalm, it's like, ah, oh, man, this, this is exactly where I'm at. I can understand this. And that's what they're meant to be. And as the psalm we're going to read today, I believe will be the exact same thing for you. And again, it's a, it's a song that's coming out of David's um, his, his, uh, experience that he just had. Now, we're going to be in Psalm 34, but before we get there, I want to give you a little bit of background. Now, this psalm is written out of the background of David uh, being, he just killed Goliath. So if you know the story, you've heard of the story of, of David was, was sent out as a young man, and he goes and kills this huge man, a, a giant named Goliath, kills him, he's a Philistine, and thinks he's going to be a great hero. Uh, but the reality is, is that Saul, who asked him to do it and promised him a bunch of really cool stuff, started to put a, uh, a hit on him and wanted to kill him. So he's running from the king. So that, that didn't go as planned. I thought I'd be a hero. And then um, he runs to the Philistines and the ones who he, he killed. And so he's, he's in there thinking he'd kind of be a, a mercenary. They wouldn't know who he was. And then people start talking about him. Go, you're, you're, you're that David guy. And then, so David, uh, what does he do? He's scared he's going to get killed. And so he pretends that he's actually insane. And he starts like clawing the walls and he starts drooling through his beard. You can, you can read the, about this in, in 1 Samuel 15. And in, or 1 Samuel 21 verses 15, 10 to 15. And so this is the backdrop. And he, he sees himself getting freed from the, the killing of the Philistines. So that is the backdrop of the story. So, so kind of when you're, you know when you're listening to, to music on the radio they, and they, they get the artist on the, on the radio and they kind of say, well, tell us about what was going on when you wrote that song. So David would have told that story before he, we, the song went on the radio. The song is, is of a psalm, it's called an acrostic, which is, it, it goes through the alphabet, uh, the poetry, el the Hebrew alphabet, and it's, goes through all of the letters of the alphabet. Like if someone, would, if you'd write a song or a poem that would go through all of our alphabet. The Hebrew has 22 alphabets. Here they're missing, they're missing one letter, but it's called an acrostic. And that's kind of the, some of the, the, the geeky uh, uh, stuff that you need to know. But, but I want to look at this. If, if there were songs today, if people would, would actually um, read these songs or, or, or when we look at this um, text today of what they would, what they would be... Um, what the lyrics, lyrics be? If, if David was writing a song, he'd probably say, taste and see that the Lord is good. That's what he'd call the song. But there's others. I, I wonder if Taylor Swift wrote this. She would, she would maybe say, I'm never, ever, 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 never, ever getting to heaven. Um, or, or maybe Pink Floyd. And maybe he would say, I do, do I need a theological education? I do need a theological education. Maybe, maybe Kenny Loggins would call it uh, rescued from the danger zone. Maybe Led Zeppelin would say, my stairway to heaven is not working for me. Uh, and if you're into country music, uh, 
Florida Georgia Line might say she's not that holy, 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 holy. I actually need a holy God, not a holy girlfriend. Michael W. Smith, some of you Christian music people, and maybe your friends aren't friends forever. And if you've been in the church, you probably have experienced that sometimes friends aren't friends forever. Um, Def Leppard, maybe you want to preach some scripture to me. Um, Carrie Underwood, she'd probably just do Jesus Take the Wheel. And we know Adele would just go with 34. That's all she would do. And Donald Trump would say, hey, let's make God great again. Uh, But when we're looking at things um, of songs, David takes this, and and I think it is really applicable, especially for where we're at today. Because there's lots of people in this world, there's people in this city that things did not go well this week. Things did not go the way we planned them. The 84 people that were killed in nice France this last week, the mother and daughter that were murdered here in Calgary, the hundreds of people that were killed during the coup in Turkey, that's just one week. The reality is, is, is people, we need a savior. This world's messed up. And each individually, we understand that things don't go as we planned. Just as David, I thought I was going to kill the king, thought I could hide out and I'd be okay, and yet it goes wrong. And so we want to see what does David say in this. And we're going to walk through the psalm um, verse by verse, and and we're going to take a couple, but we're going to read it all. So Psalm 34, it's kind of in the middle of your Bible. Um, Verse 1, it says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be on my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt His name together. You see, the first thing that we need to do is when we don't know and and when things don't go as planned is we need to understand who we are and who God is. We need to get our focus back to where it belongs. You see, when everything is all jacked up in the world, we need to focus ourselves on something that isn't jacked up. We need to focus ourselves on something that is perfect, that is true, and that perfection is God and God alone. And so, so often we can, we can think we can blame God, but the reality is that this makes no sense that we blame God for when things don't go well. You see, David here begins to say, I'm gonna, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to boast in the Lord. I'm going to talk about God, not about myself. He could have said, you know what? I came up with this really cool idea uh, to do this. No, he doesn't do that. He goes, I'm going to give praise where praise is due. You see, it's easy as when I broke down, when I wiped out my car, to blame God. Do you find that you do that? You blame God easily. And I want to encourage you, he's not the one to blame, he's the one to worship. He's not the one to blame, he's the one to worship. You see, God started this, all, this whole thing out perfect. Put our parents, Adam and Eve, in a garden. One rule, don't eat from that tree. And they decided they wanted to be like God, so they ate from that tree. And we've been messed up ever since. And ever since, God has planned a way to bring us back to himself. And that was a plan that he has through Jesus. It's called the gospel. You see, it's easy to think that, that the universe revolves around us. And, and it's more and more thinking that, you know, it's always about me. It's always about me. And the reality is we've got to say it's not about me. The goal in my life is not to make me happy. God's goal in my life is not to make me happy. The goal in my life is to glorify God, to to give praise to God, to honor God. That's what our goal in life is. 
But why would, why would we be called to, to praise God? Is he a, is he a, a God that is, has a low self-esteem? Is he needy that he needs us to worship him? Absolutely not. The reason why David begins to worship God is because God is the only thing worth worshiping. See, God does not feel bad about himself that he needs us to build him up. God is not that at all. God is creator. At the command of the world, at the, one of his words, he commanded and it created everything. He is the first and the last. He is the alpha and the omega. He is the almighty God. He is all-knowing, all-powerful, all-loving, and altogether beautiful. He is infinite. He has no beginning. He has no end. He is perfect. And so when things go bad, when they don't go the way we're supposed to go, we go, you know what? Everything else is jacked up, but God isn't. God is sovereign, and he's good, and he's in control, and that deserves an amen, please. There we go. Um, the reality is why we focus on something that's perfect is because we can't get anything better than that. So let's draw our minds off of ourselves. So when bad things happen, let's draw it onto who God is. Jonathan Edwards, a, a great uh, Puritan, said this. He's probably the greatest theologian the U.S. has ever seen. He says this, God is the highest good of the reasonable creature and the enjoyment of him is the only happiness with which our souls can be satisfied. To go to heaven, to fully enjoy God is infinitely better than the most pleasant accommodations here. Do you hear that? Fathers and mothers, husbands and wives or children or the company of earthly friends are but shadows. But the enjoyment of God is a substance. These are but scattered beams, but God is the sun. These are but streams, but God is the fountain. These are but drops, but God is the ocean. That's why David says, get your eyes off yourself and get it on something that's perfect. And that's God. So the first thing when you're going through things that don't, you're not planned on, it's not going well, focus on God, that he's got it in control, that he is good, that he is loving. The Westminster Shorter Catechism says this, man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. So if you want to have peace and happiness in your life, glorify God. One of my heroes, John Piper, says this, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. You see, God's glorified. He gets praise from us when we just go, God, all, you're all I need. But so often we're chasing so many things to make us happy. So many things because we think it's about us when we stop and say, you know what, it's not about me. I want to stop and I want to give praise to where praise is due. The second thing is we need to focus on what God does. Let's go down to verse 4. This is David, and this is going back to where he was. He goes, I sought the Lord, and he answered me, and he delivered me from all my fears. What are you afraid of? What are you afraid of today? If you know God and you have fears, he says he wants, to, he wants you to take his fear. He wants to take your fear from him. From, what are you fearful of? What are you fearful of? David says, I sought him and he answered him. Why? He delivered me. Verse 5, those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. We want to not get discouraged about what's going on in the world. Let's look to God, the only thing that's perfect. David says, your face will be radiant. This poor man I cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. And the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and he delivers them. What do you need deliverance from? David is saying here, trust God. He will deliver you from your fears. He's encamped around you. Like, doesn't that give you something good when, you, when you're camp? Like, when you go camping, you don't want to be all, all by yourself. You want to be around, surrounded by other people. 
Because what if, if something comes and wants to eat you? You want to, hopefully, they'll eat other people first because you can run faster than them. But there's a, something about being encamped, having people encamped around you. And God is saying, I'm encamped around you. So what do we fear? You see, the Lord is good. Let's move on. Verse 8, he says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. You see, this word, this taste, it's a verb. And it's a metaphor of just actually understanding who God is. That you taste and see that he's good. Maybe, maybe you're here and you've, you've, you've done that in the past and, and now you've kind of walked away a little bit and you've kind of missed what God's, how good God is. But I'd encourage you to taste and see that God is good. Taste him. Like that's why when you go to Costco, they give you samples. Why? So you can taste the food that you don't need to buy. Like yesterday we were at Costco and I had to go buy the Tide thing again and get another sample of the Tide or goat soap or whatever it would be. And I it would grab, and we have this system where I grab things my wife likes and she grabs things that I like and we switch it. And why? So we buy this stuff, right? We buy when we taste it, it tastes good. And if you're here and you've never tasted God, I would encourage you, what is stopping you from tasting God? Because he's the only thing good. The world is not good, people. As we see it, it's, there's trouble and turmoil. Taste and see that God is good. And what, what Satan does is he, he lures us by saying everything else is good but not God. And we're tempted to go and do things. That's why, that's why we sin. Because sin looks good. It even tastes good sometimes, right? And it's a, it's a lie to think that that's good. Not that we don't enjoy things. We, we enjoy things. Scripture says we enjoy things all to the glory of God, but it's not the ultimate. The ultimate good is God, and He's given us good things to enjoy. Why? So we give back glory back to Him and not keep it upon ourselves. So we got to focus on what God does as God answers our prayers. Not perfectly the exactly way we want Him, but He answers our prayers. Are you praying for the things that you ask, want that you need help from? Are you praying through your fears that you have? You see, the Lord is good. Try him out. He is good. And if you've walked away, go back to him and taste him again. He's good. He is so good. And yet we sometimes forget how good God is. We got to experience him. And those of us, Steve talked about us as a church being on mission. How does, it, how does the world taste and see that God is good? They see his followers and they say, oh, God is so good. They see us praising God. They see us not running after things to make us happy like they run after. And they go, what is it with you? Well, it's Jesus, man. Have you ever seen, have you ever tasted and seen Jesus? It's awesome. He's given me hope and he's given me a, a purpose to live and he's forgiven my sins and he's given me a purpose to why I'm on this earth. He is good. You should try him. That's what the mission is. To allow the world to see that God is good and for them to taste Him. And they taste Him by seeing us. It talks about in, in Scripture also that we're the aroma of Christ, a scent. Why do you think you like going into Abercrombie and Fitch? It smells good. Why do you like going into Starbucks and not Tim Hortons? Because it smells good. It smells that aroma. That's what we're to be. The next thing is, oh, oh, verse 10, the young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. How often do we complain in our lives? 
I wish I had this, I wish I had that. Scripture says that if you know God, that you lack no good thing. So when you're complaining, go, man, I, I'm not, I didn't get the job, I don't have this, I don't have that, I don't have that. But it says that we, we lack no good thing if we know the Lord. So where's the problem at? Is it with me or is it with God and His Word? I'm going to take God and His Word as, as the truth and, and I've got the problem. And that's why we, we, we sit every week under Scripture and say, what does Scripture say? Because my feelings and the, what I think are not right. They have to come under Scripture. So it says we lack no good thing. He talks about young lions. Okay, now, all of us have seen the Lion King. Top of the food chain. And here Scripture says sometimes even tigers suffer want and hunger. Not, not, not all the times. Even tigers or lions who are at the top of the food chain have a full thing, have a full meal all the time. Here it would be grizzly bears. But the reality is what the psalmist is saying here is that if we know God, we lack nothing. When we want to complain this week, let's understand that we lack nothing. We're going to get to, the, to, to what that all entails in a second. We have to focus, number three, we need to focus on what God says. See, we, could, we can see things that happen we have no control over, and then we, but then there's things in our lives that we, we can't even blame God, but we're tempted to. We just did stupid things, and there's consequences. And some of us still live in some of those consequences of bad decisions we've made. But there's reality, as, as a pastor, I've counseled so many people, and they're just making poor choices. And they're blaming God for it. It's like, how can you blame God? You're just making poor choices. So we want to live in the wisdom of God. Verse 11 says, Come, O children, listen to me, and I will teach you the fear of the Lord. And the fear isn't like, oh, we're so scared of God that he's going to get us. It's this. And Charles Spurgeon, a, a great preacher in England, said this. Fearing God means pay to him humble, childlike reverence, walk in his laws, have respect to his will, tremble to offend him, hasten to serve him. Here the psalmist says, I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Some of us need to fear the Lord a little more. Sometimes when we talk about gospel and grace, we think, well, I can do whatever I want and I'm all forgiven. But there's truth and there's grace. And so we can't just trample God's grace and say, I can do whatever I want because I'm forgiven. No, there's a something that God is, is infinite and perfect and holy and he calls us to live according to those wills. Not that we're going to be accepted, but out of our acceptance, we want to live holy lives for God. He gives us some instruction here in verse 12. What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips about from speaking deceit. How many times have things not gone well for us because we opened our big mouth and we said things we shouldn't say? How many arguments have we had with our spouses or our children or our parents or co-workers because we opened our mouth and said dumb things? That's not wise. Uh, I got fired because I told my boss where to go. Now I have no money. God, that's your fault. How come you're not providing? No, that's your fault, stupid. You shouldn't have said that to your boss. James 1.19, James, the half-brother of John, says this, Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of a man does not produce the righteousness of God. So there's just some smart things that we can actually do. Don't blame God. Blame yourself. Go, there's some wisdom in here. Lots of wisdom in the Scriptures. 
That's why we, we encourage people to be in, your, be in the Bible. Learn wisdom. It's given to us. Verse 14, turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Turn away from evil. Is there evil in your life? Life's not going well? Then turn from that evil. Do good. Seek peace. Do you, are you a guy that, that, that wants to fight all the time or a person wants to fight? Seek peace. Seek peace and things will go well for you. And the fourth is we want to focus on God's reaction. And this is going to land here for a little bit. Focus on God's reaction to us. And I want to hear what, just want to hear what this, you to hear what this says, that verse 15. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous. Are you, are you here this morning and, and you are really wondering what God's reaction to you is? Maybe you've sinned, maybe you've been sinned against, maybe you've walked away from God or, or maybe things in your life just have not gone well at all. And you're going, well, like, why, God? I don't get this. I don't get it. Would you listen to these words? These are, this is scripture. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and the ears toward their cry. His ears toward their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Verse 19, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all of his bones, not one of them is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. Here we, David is talking about two people, two kinds of people, the righteous and the unrighteous. So what does it mean to be righteous, you ask? Righteous, to be righteous means you have right standing before God. And the only way to have right standing before God is perfection because God is perfect and he can only accept perfection. Well, I'm out, so I can't be righteous. So I must be the unrighteous that he's talking about here. Not so. The reason why I can say that I'm righteous is because I work for a Christian organization. No. The only way I can say I'm righteous is because of Jesus and what he did on that cross. What he did when he came to live here on earth. See, God only, ex only can accept perfection because he's perfect. So the only one that he can accept is his son. And Jesus came to this earth, lived a perfect life, one that I could not live, and gave himself up for me. He says, God, don't look at Johnny. Don't look at his record. I want you to look at my record. And then God says, oh, your record, Jesus, is perfect. So I accept Johnny on behalf of you, Jesus. And Jesus has done that for every single one of us in this room. Crazy. So I can be righteous. So now when I read this, I can go through here and I go, I can be righteous. Why? Because I'm a good guy? Because I work for a Christian organization? No. Only 
and only because of Jesus. So that means none of us in this room are counted out if we decide to say, I need God. To humble ourselves and say, I need Jesus. So when, when I read verse 15, the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears toward their cry. He's speaking about me. He's speaking about us. His, his eyes are towards you. He understands where you're at. He knows what your situation is. He's there. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. When you cry to God this week when things don't go well, He hears you. He hears you. Isn't that amazing? The God of the universe that spoke this universe into being by a word hears us. That's incredible. Absolutely incredible. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. He's talking about humility, but, but have you been crushed? Have you had your heart broken? When you go, oh, man, I'm dead, I'm crushed, I'm, I'm, I'm at the end of my rope, where do you go? Do you go to God and say, God, I'm crushed, I need you? Like David, when he was, when he was in with the Philistines, he goes, I got to find a way out, but God's the one that got me out. He's the one that does it. You see, do you need a savior? Are you brokenhearted? Whatever you're brokenhearted, Jesus wants to fill that for you. 19, many are the afflictions of the righteous. You see, being a Christian does not mean, or, or following Jesus does not mean that we don't have afflictions in this world. But it means that we have a savior that walks, walks with us. A lot of us know Elroy Lynn Seneca. Lynn has been diagnosed six weeks ago with, with cancer, horrific cancer. And I was at the hospital when Elroy got the news of how bad the cancer was. And this was amazing. He went up to each one of his kids and he looked them in the eye and he says, God is good. God's got this. God's got this. He's good. He loves us. He loves your mom. And he went to each one of his kids and he told them that. That is so powerful. When you're losing your wife and you say, don't worry about it, God is good. And that's the view that we need to have is that God is good no matter what happens here, but he's there. And what they say is, is, the, is the, the, the meals and the, the flowers and the cards and whatever we give them to come, and the hugs. They go, that's, that's God helping us. That's the church tasting and seeing that God is good because God's done it for us. We're going to do it for others. You see, that's, that's the story that we're called to because things won't go perfect here. But we know that God hears us, that he listens to our afflictions. You see, the Lord's, the Lord's ears to the words of the righteous. And you say, well, how could that be? I know what I've done. Paul, who used to persecute the church in Romans, says there's no condemnation for those that are in Christ. No condemnation. We're perfect in God's eyes. Scandalous. We say this every week, but you know what? We forget it every week. I forget it every week. So how do I become righteous? We become righteous by saying, I need a savior. Jesus, I want to exchange my life for yours. I want to exchange your perfect life for my imperfect life. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says that. That he exchanged our sin for his complete righteousness. That is the best deal ever. Verse 20, it says, He keeps all his bones, not one of them is broken. This, a reference to Jesus 
who in a thousand years in the future before this happened knew that Jesus was prophesied that Jesus would not have any bones broken. And when they were going to the, to the cross to, to break his bones, to finish it off quickly, he was already did, dead. So none of his bones were broken, fulfilling a prophecy a thousand years before. We know that God's word is true because he fulfills these prophecies. So what do we do when life does not go as planned? Let's put our focus back to where it belongs. Let's focus on what God does. He answers our prayers. Let's focus on what God says. Let's read his word. Let's listen to what he says of how to live wise lives. And let's allow the reaction of God to flow deep into our hearts to understand how loved we are, how he cares about us that we're broken and that we're crushed, that he wants to fulfill that um, for us to bring us peace, to bring us goodness. So I want to ask us this week, which one of you struggle, where, where do you struggle with from one to four? Would you pick one of those? Where do you, where do you think you need to go uh, as far as to grow in your walk with God? Is your focus on God or is, is it on yourself? Are you praying? Are you, are you asking God to, to pray and answer your prayers? Maybe you're just living unwise life and you need to just get back to, to reading some wisdom. Or maybe you just sit back and, and allow God just to, to minister to your broken heart, to let him know that you're dearly loved. That you're dearly loved. Um, we're going to move to communion now. And um, it's something that we do every week here as a, as a church family. And communion allows us to celebrate this deep, deep love that God has for us. There's two elements on the table. There's, there's juice and wine and, and bread. And the bread represents that Jesus came to this earth, that he lived that perfect life that we have not lived. And he died and his body was broken for us, but he was a real person. God just didn't leave us to our own devices. He came to us, unheard of. No, there's no other religion or philosophy in the world that does this. But Jesus came to us and he went to a cross to shed his blood, which is represented by the juice and the wine. That he shed his blood for us. That no longer do we have to pay for our sin, but he paid for it once and for all. Why could he do that? Because he was God and he was perfect. So that's how we can have no condemnation. That's how we can understand that we are righteous. Not because we're good, but because he is good. And so we celebrate this every week. And I just want to encourage us that when we come forward, that, that this is a solemn this isn't just something we always do and yet we do it every week but this are just symbols and elements of what Jesus actually did Jesus actually hung on a cross and died and had the father God turn his face away from him and poured all of the sin and hell that we deserved upon his own son Jesus that's what it cost Jesus for us to take this meal so when we come forward, I would ask you that you come forward in a, in a way that this is reverence, that this is unbelievable, but also a celebration because what Jesus has accomplished for us. So I pray that, that, that this meal never becomes stagnant, that it never becomes just something that we do because it costs Jesus everything. And when we take the bread and we take the cup, may we know that we are dearly loved children of God. Dearly, dearly loved.
If you're crushed in spirit, don't come forward because Jesus was crushed for you on your behalf. I'm going to ask the band to come up. I'm going to pray. And uh, if you are saying, man, I've never, I'm not a Christian and I'm not really into this yet, then I would just say, you don't have to come and take, you know, don't come and take communion. Communion is for those that have believed in Jesus, that they understand that you need a Savior, that you've asked Jesus to take away those sins. And if you've never done that, you can do that this morning and come and experience this communion table, this family meal for the first time. It's simply saying, Jesus, I believe that I'm a sinner, that I've walked away, that I need a Savior, that the only way that I could ever get to heaven, the only way I could ever have a relationship with you, God, is by being perfect. And I believe that Jesus Christ was perfect on my behalf. I believe that he lived the perfect life, that he died a death in my place on my behalf, and he rose again conquering sin and death. And I believe that, and I commit to following Jesus and what he's called me to do. And if you can pray that and say that, then you're a Christian, and I would invite you to this family meal. And if you did just pray that or or believe that for the first time, tell one of us, because we want to pray for you. Um, After the the gathering, we're going to have a time of prayer. There's going to be some prayer people up here. And if you are crushed in spirit in any way, if you're brokenhearted, or you just want someone to pray good news of the gospel over you, come forward, and we would love to pray for you. Um, Let's just pray. Jesus, we want to thank you that you love us so much. Father, we thank you that you write scripture to tell us how dearly loved we are. Uh, Jesus, we thank you for this uh, supper meal that we will take, pl- take part in to remember what this cost you, the deep price that it cost you for, uh, for you to bring us back to yourself. And so, Jesus, we praise you and thank you. And I ask you, Jesus, that you would allow us as a church to taste and see that God is good. For those that have never tasted you, Lord, that they would taste that you are good. And those, those of us that know you, that we would go out from this place and we would taste and see and show that God is good by the way we live our lives. So Jesus, we thank you for your sacrifice. Father, we thank you that you love us so much that you're willing to do this for us. And Holy Spirit, we thank you that you rose Jesus from the dead, that we know that sin and death is now conquered. So we pray all these things in the good name of Jesus.